The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. But we are here in Limerick City, uh, some of Limerick's leading lights uh, with me. Before I introduce any of them, though, Josh Crosby uh, was down here a little bit earlier today uh, speaking to people on the street out in O'Connell Street here and uh, the surrounding areas this morning. And he was talking to them about what they like about Limerick, what thing they might improve about the city if they could. I'd like to see better car parking and things like that for the people, for the businesses and that. I worked 50 odd years in the retail here and parking is the big thing. There's a lot of coffee shops around here. I think there could be a little bit more clothes shops, bring more exposure to the city. And you're young, are you planning on staying in Limerick? I am, yeah, I always did. Um, I'm probably one of the few many now, not heading off to Australia and all. So yeah, I know I do plan to stay here. Get rid of every scrambler and motorbike and keep them off the greens, put up barriers so they can't get onto them. Just stand in there, revving it and boom, the whole lot, sir. How does it affect you then? Like, have you ever had a close call? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you go and give out the one? 50 will come back. Well, the parking is gone, for one thing, anyway. That needs to be improved. And what about the argument that we need to move to more public transport? And- yeah, bus is a good idea, yeah. We need them more, more often, though. I think there needs to be more sort of places for kids my age to go, like 18, 19, because at the moment, it's sort of lacking for kids to go out and like have fun with their friends. Nobody wants to come into the city because there's nowhere to park, or it's just costing you a fortune. Much easier to go to somewhere like a shopping centre or things like that, where there's free parking, everything's all under one roof, and it's more cost-effective and easier to get in and out of, I suppose. So Tom McNamara is your name. You're busking here on the streets of Limerick for over 20 years. That's right. The Hall of Fame I got into, yeah. So tell me, what changes would you like to see for Limerick? What's the one thing you'd like changed in Limerick? Well, you see, what I would like to see changed probably is uh, some work brought in and more jobs. I mean, for God's sake, give them a job, they'll have the money to buy their food. My songs, years ago, they should have played them on the radio. Well, now's your chance to be on the radio, Tom. Give yeah. us a blast. <laughs> Yes, thank you to Tom and to Josh. Uh, so listen, a long list of things. Uh, parking mentioned a couple of times. Uh, a, a lot of mentions of kind of, of younger people and facilities and a future for younger people in the city as well. Scramblers, apparently, uh, John Morn are like kind of Heracles and the many-headed Hydra. You, you, you get rid of one and 50 come back, uh, according to uh, that man. But uh, listen, with me here in studio, and I say in studio, we're on the top floor of the rugby experience uh, here in O'Connell Street. Um, and John Morn is with me, a member of the Limerick Economic Forum. He's chair of Livable Limerick and a board member of Shannon Airport. Adiso Donovan is a Social Democrat councillor for Limerick City West and Sean Golden, chief economist and head of policy for Limerick Chamber. You're all very, very welcome and thanks a million uh, for coming. I, given actually that there was um, a, a few mentions of parking, Lisa, I might start with you there. Yeah, um, you know, this is something that I guess is raised very regular um, as a councillor who represents this area. Um, and I guess... Uh, we see internationally the, the nature of retail in, in every international city is, is, is changing and the nature of our cities and how we experience them is changing also. Um, and I really think that what we have tried to do over the last number of years in Limerick is really try and make the, the city centre a space where people want to come, want to congregate. We heard there um, that, you know, there is a real lack of facilities for people to come into the city and congregate and to meet, particularly for young people. So I guess 
yes, we really try to create spaces um, that are more accessible for people. Um, and I guess we've been trying to promote a healthier city as well. Um, so I guess when it comes to a healthier city, what we have been trying to do is trying to encourage people to perhaps walk into town, to live in the city, um, you know, so that they can walk into town, do their shopping in town. Um, we also have tried to um, promote people to maybe leave their car at home and to try and cycle into town um, because I guess this would create a much safer environment, a healthier environment for people in the city as well. So I guess those are the sort of things that we've been trying to change mm. about Limerick City, I would say, over the last number of years, um, which would be in line with how other European cities are kind of moving um, into the future. Uh, John, I don't want this to be kind of a long list of things we, we would change. It's my own fault for asking about parking uh, to kick things off. So uh, give me the pitch for Limerick. I mean, what, what works well in Limerick City? Well, hurling, certainly. Ah, I, stop, I, said I knew, that, I knew. I was no. going to think of that when you were talking about the rugby, <laughs> yeah. that you should stick to hurling. I mean, maybe from Clitendi, right? Um, no, look, I mean, you know the story myself. I mean, I grew up here in Limerick and left and never thought I'd come back and moved back here a couple of years ago because it's just a great place to live. I mean, not, not because it's always sunny like this every day, of course. Yeah. Um, but, but it is a city, and in, in that sense, it has a kind of an urban feel to it. It's got a vibe. But yet, literally five minutes away, you're in some of the greatest countryside in Ireland. I mean, in terms of, um, you know, walking around and, and enjoying nature. And the only thing we really don't have are kind of good surfing beaches. Um, but they're just an hour down the road in Clare and, and in Kerry. So I think that's sort of what you've got. You've got this geographical location that this city has. I mean, you know, we always have a bit of a row about, you know, whether Cork is better or, or Galway or whatever. But the reality is, is that Limerick is right in the middle of the two. And so you mm. see that impact very clearly because whereas there are some industries that can be strong in Galway or some in Cork, they kind of spill over to Limerick, which means that economically, I mean, I don't know if you saw there was a program on the, on the, on the TV, actually, I I think our great accordion player was on it during the week with Limerick in the 70s. And I mean, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I mean, it's unrecognisable, as, mm. as Ireland is, right? Um, but that doesn't mean it, the, the problems are all solved. There's still forgotten communities in Limerick, and there's some people doing really well. But it's got a very solid basis. You think, I mean, you mentioned I'm on the, at the airport. I mean, it's got international connectivity that cities all across Europe would kill for. You know, next stop, New York. I mean, pre-immigration here, European connections, one of the largest ports in Ireland down the road. And, and I mean, I'm sure Sean has written about this as well, but the whole potential for green energy that sits right off the coast here has to sort of filter into the, the, the next 10, 15 years mm. of, of, the, of, the, of the place. And when you mention those kind of those big companies and the big investment and the spillover from Galway and Cork. I mean, Galway, we think of medtech, the huge medtech industry up there. And in Cork, people think maybe of Pfizer and Apple and specific companies. I mean, how do you describe that specific part of the economic landscape in Limerick? Yeah, so what's happened, what Limerick had as a problem for many years, right, back in the manufacturing area, subsequently in the kind of the Wangs, the Dells, the Crops, is it used to have a dependency typically on a large employer. And when that employer left, Dell being the best example, mm. the place was decimated. Not just you people that lost their jobs there, but all of the other jobs that relate to that. And so when we started to try to rebuild Limerick to the form in, the, in 2013, 2014, after the crisis, the, the drive was to have a mix of industries. So that's why Tri Studios is here with creative industries. That's why you have Northern Trust and financial services, you have aviation, and you have pure manufacturing. I mean, you know, manufacturing is probably 20% or so of the employment in this area. And in the Midwest alone, there's about a quarter of a million people employed. Mm. You know, um, so, so you've got this really robust, resilient 
economic mix, which includes, it's like a microcosm of Ireland, really, in some respects, because of the fact that you're in the middle of all of these other places. And, and then, of course, you've got 10,000 students graduating every year in the Midwest. And if anything that I get worried about, I mean, I was half expecting it to come up a little bit in the, in the 18-year-old mm. there, is that we are leaking our talent every year. We're building six or 700 homes in Limerick, and we have 10,000 students graduating. So there's a total mismatch in terms of the amount, not that dissimilar to what we've said in the past about Ireland, but the, the inability to, to f- kind of plan for the mm. success of the region and the potential success. Uh, and so, I mean, is, is that the problem then, uh, Sean, is that, and, and one of the uh, younger people as well mentioned kind of, uh, you know, the possibility of emigration or a lack of opportunity, is that there is the opportunity there in terms of of actual employment vacancies, you know what I mean? We, 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 we have too many vacancies, we don't have enough people to fill them, but we don't have enough houses to make those vacancies attractive, is that it? Yeah, that's one of the key factors, you know. John's obviously been reading all our publications in the chamber, so it's great. They do very good it's, publications. It's, it, it's great that someone else is reading them beside myself, but a lot of it comes back to housing. So we have a business sentiment survey that we did recently, and one of the largest issues that businesses were having was attracting talent and attracting key skills as well. But what they saw as their largest barrier to actually attracting and retaining talent was housing. Mm. So if you think of a housing landscape here in Limerick and the wider Midwest, you know, currently in Limerick last year, we delivered 780 homes to keep up with true demand and demand in the system. We need about triple that. Um, on top of that, then as well, what you're delivering is not exactly what's making it to market. There's a number of players there's owner-occupiers, there's AHBs, etc. So housing is a huge issue. Now, look, Limerick isn't alone. Um, everywhere is having the same issue. But at the same time, the, the three people here all care enough about Limerick to, to raise these issues. So it's, it is an inhibitor and it's likely going to get worse. And how are um, employers here dealing with it? I spoke to a, kind of a large employer from this part of the world at, at an event in Adair a, a couple of months ago. And... He described having to essentially kind of do what we're seeking to do with kind of people seeking asylum in this country. He was putting up kind of modular bills on site and was housing people in them. It was the only way that he could make the jobs attractive. Yes. So that's only available to employers of a certain scale. Mm -hmm. If somebody kind of has five, ten jobs or five, ten people working for them and one vacancy comes up, they're not going to kind of order a modular unit. A hundred percent. I suppose there's a duality in the jobs market of the SMEs that won't be able to do that type of work, but the larger multinationals will. One of the questions we actually asked in our business sentiment survey for the first time ever was, have you intervened in housing on behalf of your employees? Um, so varying responses, about 17% said they did, uh, with most of them touching base with estate agents directly. Some businesses, a very small minority, now taking out leases in the business name so they can actually provide them to staff. So that's, that's, that's where it's actually going now, is that not only do businesses have to worry about cost inflation, supply chains, etc., but they now have to get involved in housing. And uh, Elise, is that I, I would I would wager that is something you're constantly dealing with with constituents. Absolutely. I mean, housing is the number one concern that um, you know that I take representations on as, as a as a local councillor. And I think it's interesting because you know actually my day job is I work as a speech and language therapist here in um, the, the health service. And you might hear a lot on the national news about the crisis that we have in our local hospital here. Um, and I guess one of the reasons for that is it's very difficult to attract. Fact, 
healthcare staff into the Midwest um, for all the reasons that Sean has outlined um, in relation to the housing crisis that we have here. So it's really impacting every sector in Limerick society at the moment um, and I guess in, in Limerick City in particular um, I think at the moment we, we desperately need people living in the city centre that is something that we need if we want to attract um, people into the city centre but there is absolutely nowhere for people to live at the moment and um, we are lacking um, you know apartments for people to live there is a lot of derelict sites around the city and definitely you know as a, as a council and I guess the government can be doing a lot more to help people to kind of live into live in our city centres. Well I, I want to kind of can, can continue that uh, uh, train of thought and talk about you know dereliction and making the, the city centre that bit more livable and public spaces and public amenities and all of that but I have to take a very quick ad break. Uh, Elisa, John and Sean are going to stay with me. Don't go anywhere. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk. And this is The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock this evening. Sean Golden is still with me, Chief Economist and Head of Policy for Limerick Chamber. John Moore and as well, member of the Limerick Economic Forum and Chair of Liveable Limerick and a board member of Shannon Airport and Elisa O'Donovan, who's a Social Democrat Councillor for Limerick City West. We are here broadcasting, if you're just joining us, from uh, the top floor of the International Rugby Experience. It's an absolutely amazing building. It's a great facility as well uh, in the city. So we'll have more detail on that in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, before the break, we, we were all acknowledging the shortage of housing, which won't have uh, come as startling news, I don't think, to anybody listening from this part of the world or indeed anywhere else in Ireland. But John, if, 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 if we all agree that more is needed, the other problem that people mentioned uh, in our little uh, piece from the uh, street earlier was uh, a kind of public amenities and public spaces as well in the city. So how, as chair of kind of livable Limerick, how do you make a city centre more livable? Yeah, well, you've kind of hit the, the nail on the head. I mean, it is about the use of the public spaces and public services that you provide. And in some ways, I guess, it goes back to a lot of the conversation we've heard about retail not working in the city centre and people coming in. We shouldn't actually need retail in the city centre to be fully dependent on everybody living in the suburbs or beyond in Newcastle West and elsewhere coming in, right? There should be people living in the centre that are the first customers of those, of those areas. But, but living in a city, even one that I love as much as Limerick, right, it's still got its own compromises. Mm. And, and, and governments across Europe, uh, Irish governments tend not to do this very well. Local authorities in Ireland tend not to do this very well anymore. They don't compensate for that with the best services locally. So you want to live in the city because you can walk down the street to have your pint in a local pub, but you can also go down to a swimming pool, you can go to a gym, you can go to a museum like this. You know, all of that comes together. Or just sit in a park and read a book. Mm. You know? And so all of that is a local authority function that, that goes with the housing. So if you start doing that, you make city centres more attractive places, which means people want to live there, not to the nicer places in the county or everywhere else. And then the demand kind of kicks in. And then, of course, you have to have a, a local authority that's using the billions of euros that have been made available mm. by central government to actually get social housing built. And are they doing that here? I, I would say not. I mean, I think we've seen a, a rush to actually buy housing that should really have gone for public use. You know, the housing estates have been built that I think Sean was talking about this recently that were being built. Everybody expected they would be available to first-time buyers and everything else. And in the same scramble that the nation has... Mm. locally here, these billions of euros are available. They're just buying these up now or giving money to AHBs to buy them up, which means you're, fee you're actually providing housing for one group of people 
the very one that the state can actually intervene to build. I mean, if it can't build commercially housing, the state can still build and lose a little bit of money because it's providing a social service mm. and leave the private sector to deal with something else. And I think we've got that mismatch here. That's the same as anywhere else in the country, to be honest. Elisa, are the local authority guilty of that mismatch? Um, yeah, I mean, perhaps. Um, and I guess one of the reasons that I decided to um, put myself forward for election is I, I really wanted to change the way the city was operating and I wanted to change the city for the better. I actually lived and studied in Dublin for well over a decade. Um, and when I moved home to Limerick, um, I, you know, I really fell in love with the city, I think, for the first time. And I think um, it is such an exciting um, city to live in at the moment. Um, and I just think that um, certainly... The local authority, since I've been elected in 2019, we have really tried so hard to make the city a more livable space to live. We have put picnic tables along the boardwalk, along the beautiful Shannon. And we now have Limerick's first inclusive playground, which was launched just during this week. And so we really, really are trying in the local authority um, to to make the city a, a, a place for people to live and a destination for people to visit as well. And has that worked? Um, yeah. Are, are there loads of more people living in the city centre? Well, no, because I think that cables? comes down to, I guess, a, a national government. And I think we, no, we, no. we, we do need, um, I oh, think, I'm a lot sure. more... I'm not sure. You just said that you're putting all the picnic tables out by the Keys. And, and I guess those are public realm things in, that councillors could do. The but there are definitely things that we could do, I guess, that the government could be doing to attract people to live in the city centre. And, for example, I have get a lot of representations from people who want to live in beautiful Georgian Limerick, where we do have many derelict um, uh, properties around. Mm. Um, It is very, very expensive to renovate those properties, and it actually can be very difficult to access grant funding um, for those buildings. Um, So really, I think instead of giving subsidies to perhaps private developers, the government should be giving subsidies to individuals, to families, um, to renovate those properties um, for people to actually live in. So that there is a lot that we could be doing, and we should be doing and and also that the government nationally should be doing to attract people um, to to live in the city centre as well. Sean? I mean, like, it it might seem a really obvious answer to the question, but to make Limerick more livable, you actually have to have somewhere to live. So, I mean, to put it into perspective, we run a bit of research in the chamber. It's our monthly rental monitor. And what it does is it looks at what's available on the market each month to actually rent. So in June, the whole three counties of the Midwest had 83 places to rent across Limerick, Clare, Tipperary. In Limerick City, the average amount to rent in the city centre is 10 per month. If you take account Limerick City and suburbs, it's about 20. Mm. So I think, you know, the public realm is great and the rest of it, but unless we're actually providing for people in the city centres, you know, as part of the But is the the way to provide, uh, how Elise describes it, that we're we're looking out over the the, the uh, cityscape here in Limerick and you can see a lot of those Georgian buildings she's talking about. And developers might shy away because, you know, economies of scale is at the basis of their kind of, their their business model. And it's harder maybe to do that when you open the door. You don't know what job you're going to have to do in each building. Is it piece by piece that you just encourage people through grants and subsidies? There, there, there's two ways to look at it. We have the old Georgian properties that you can use through Living Cities Initiative. So a large part of our budget submission this year was tweaking that so it could be more, I suppose, cohesive with owner-occupiers rather than actual developers, or at least if developers were going to do it, that it would be targeted towards cost rental. But there's also the utilisation of public land as well, available in city centres. So, you know, a couple of minutes walk from here, we have the old gas network site that's mm. been sitting pretty much vacant um, since remedial works have been done on it, which would be, ve- would be great for apartment living. 
So, you know, the vacancy in the Georgian properties is great. It's very complicated. Something needs to be done. But at the same time, when you're looking at the sites, we really need to be progressing the sites as they're the easiest and fastest wins. I think that's a really valid point, right? Because even if you take 100 Georgian houses available to house 10 people, that's 1,000 people. Mm. Right, so so they're really complex to do. It's not to say they shouldn't be done. I mean, I know exactly how complex they are, having tried to do one. Right, but but it's not going to solve the problem. You have to start at the top level of the analysis and say, what's the scale of the problem? It's like my ten thousand students that are leaving every year in in the Midwest. I mean, even if you sorted magically all the Georgian properties, you'd house a ten percent of them for one year. And then next year, you'll have all of them again to, to house. So, you know, we've got Colbert Station, which has not moved effectively, as far as I can see. So there's lower hanging fruit than renovating Georgian properties. And and in fact, the funny thing about Georgian properties, I mean, people can say we need more money and things like that. Georgian Limerick, which is not so well known, was actually developed by somebody who didn't have a lot of money. Right? He literally came up with a really good plan on the land that Georgian Limerick is now built on, put in some of the services, put in actually the planning permissions essentially of the time because he designed what each building should look like and then let people off to build their own buildings. Mm. So the local authority could just be master planning large tracts of the, of the city for 50 and 100,000 people with the LDA and others that are you know, given the mandate to do that and then let people off to do it. Yeah, well, they could do that not just in Limerick, they could do that elsewhere. Well, I, I mean, there's these piecemeal developments. I've said it before because I drive in kind of Cork Street in through the Liberties every day into Dublin and every it's great. The development happening is great, but every single development looks completely different from the one beside it and the one across the I, road. And we, we were hearing that the LDA is going to have 8 billion euros, right, to, 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 do, to finally get, they've got the proper budget to do this. And Limerick has to embrace the LDA and say, we want you down here to actually help solve this problem for us. Well, listen, we solved all the problems. There we have it. There we have it. John Bourne is a member of the Limerick Economic Forum, Chair of Liverpool Limerick and a board member of Shannon Airport. Elise O'Donovan, Social Democrat Councillor for Limerick City West. And Sean Golden, Chief Economist and Head of Policy for Limerick Chamber. Listen, thanks a million, folks. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.